0: You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. My job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to teach you how to have a biblical worldview and how to think biblically, how to think about your thoughts. I think that it is a good habit for us to think more and then think about what we're thinking. What am I thinking right now? How am I thinking? Am I thinking angry, anxious, celebratory? What's the category that I'm thinking in right now? And then then what very few people do is they ask, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? What's happening in this season? What's happening in the recipe of my heart and my soul that's producing these thoughts, these feelings, these emotions, and understanding that those are the things that predict what you're gonna do next? Your behaviors, your words, your trajectory comes not in the external, it comes from what's happening inside of you. And I'm curious, um, I'm curious, I'm curious if you think that your thinking has changed over the last few years. If you were to stop and think about how you were thinking pre-pandemic, are you still thinking that way? And, And if it has changed, has it changed for the better or the worse? Are you more healthy? or less healthy? Do you love God more or less? Do you love people more or less? Is your marriage better or less better? It's been a noisy few years, hasn't it? We've had a lot coming at us. Obviously, in the public space, there is so much information. We're living in the information age. You are walking around with more information in your pocket than most generations have had in their lifetime. There's so many options. There's so many opinions, so many motivations, so many angles, so much manipulation, so much trauma, frustration, division, chaos, conflict, and it affects us, doesn't it? It affects the way that we think. But I also think that it's wise of us to understand that not not only are we being affected, but that we're really perpetuating it. It's not just what's happening to us, it's what's happening in us. It's creating the behaviors that are Creating this doom loop that we seem to find ourselves in right now. We're living in a time of volatility. You know that, right? A time of complexity. It feels like every day there's something new on the news that's enormous and scary. And what's going to happen next? We live in a time that requires this big biblical word, discernment. We live in a time that requires discernment. In 1 Chronicles 12, uh, we're introduced to the men of Issachar. And the Bible says that they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They understood the times and they understood what was necessary to do next. And I think that we're in a season right now that we need some more men and women of Issachar who can see it as it is, who can understand it, and who can lead toward what God is doing, not just away from what's going wrong. I have noticed in my own life that volatility, complexity, it tends to produce fear, which tend to produce guardedness, defensiveness in me. I, I, I'm increasingly on guard against being led astray. On guard against being manipulated, being used, being somebody's sucker. But discernment is more than being defensive about what might be wrong. It isn't simply the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, it's also the ability to distinguish between primary and secondary, between essential and irrelevant, between permanent and transient, between heavenly and earthly, between God's way and the world's way. It's the ability to know good and bad and better and best. David says it this way in Psalm 119, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. It's interesting that David would Put the words together that way. A lot of us in this room believe in God's way, believe in God's commandments, but we don't understand that that doesn't mean that you know good judgment. Yeah. Believing isn't enough. I need God to teach me how to know and understand and judge the times and myself and what comes next, and not just stay away from what's wrong, but head toward what's right. The word that David uses is the word Taste. Give me good taste. (laughs) How many of you have ever been at Starbucks buying a coffee for $138? (laughs) All right, I think that's where we're headed. I think that's the ceiling they keep just going up. Every time I go in, it's more expensive. I'm like, this was $4 yesterday and now it's $19. It's unbelievable. Okay, that ain't inflation, y'all. Okay, that's capitalism, but that's a different different story. (laughs) Have you ever had this experience when? when, when you have your drink and you go in and you order, I'll take a five-shot pump of organic oat milk, you know, little children squeeze the milk out of the, you know, that, all that kind of thing. Uh, blobby, blebity, bloop, venti to go. And you drive away and you take a sip and you go, that's not my drink. You go in and you say, uh, excuse me, I ordered, I ordered this completely ridiculous drink Uh, with 38 different ingredients in it, and you gave me this. And they take it, well, it says that that we did that. And you say, no, 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 no. Uh, I I know what that's supposed to (laughs) taste like, and it doesn't taste right. You gave me whole milk, and I asked for (laughs) whatever the latest weird milk is, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Pakistani dirt milk, I don't know, all right? Whatever, yeah. You have developed a palate a taste, and what David is saying is, God, give me a discriminating palate for what spiritual reality actually is. Help me to know, uh, what it, help me to know, that ah, doesn't taste right. Help, help me to know, eh, that doesn't sound right. No, help me to know, that, that didn't look right. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but, now this isn't a judgmental palate, it's just the ability to identify reality in the spiritual. That's, that's what discernment is. And, and we have to understand that the spiritual is as real and more significant than, than this. If, if you are somebody who thinks that this is all there is, whew, you are in for a surprise, right? Yeah, there are spiritual realities, and somebody who can discern is somebody who Knows what that's supposed to sound like, supposed to look like. John Stott says discernment is learning to think God's thoughts after him. Practically and spiritually, it means having a sense of how things look in God's eyes and seeing them in some measure uncovered and laid bare. Now, for some of us, God gives us a spiritual gift called discernment. He didn't do anything to get it. All spiritual gifts are by God's grace. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you need to go to growth track. You need to understand what good work God has created you for. But for some of you, God's giving you a little extra dose of his empowerment when it comes to discernment. But everybody in this room is called to discern, to grow in our ability to learn, understand, judge, and develop our ability to see spiritual reality as it actually is the more complicated the season, the more controversial the season, the more up in the air the season, the more important discernment becomes. And so Jesus is going to teach us the principles of discernment. I want to give you the principles of discernment from the sermon on the mount, and then I want to I want to teach you how to live a life that will promote discernment, and then I want to end just with some personal discernment. My aim today isn't to tell you what to do, it's to teach you how to hear from God teach you how to see it as it actually is, regardless of what's happening on the news, okay? Jesus gives us three principles of discernment. Number one, he says, don't follow the masses. Don't, don't, don't follow everyone else. If you want spiritual discernment, you're gonna to have to stop wanting to be with everyone else. Matthew 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. Notice that both roads start with the gate. Jesus isn't talking about the end. He's talking about the beginning. And that first wide gate, I believe, is just our our physical birth. It's easy because you didn't do anything to decide it. Your mommy and your daddy did something to decide it. Come on, somebody. All right? And here you are. And we're all born into this world, into this path, into this direction. And even though you didn't decide it, you are born pre-packaged with some beliefs. You are born pre-packaged with some motivation. You are born pre-packaged worshiping. And Solomon said that, that those prepackagings transcend time and place. There's nothing new under the sun. Have you noticed that regardless of geography, regardless of skin color, regardless of time and place, humanity is always generally pursuing the same thing. We want more power and more pleasure. We want more control and we want more comfort. Now, I can go anywhere in the world and I can basically hear money, sex, and power, right? If I had more power or more money, I'd have more sex and that's a good thing. Everybody in the world says this. Over all time and over all history, we all somehow come with this software on top of this hardware that we have, some of us harder than others, but that's a different category altogether, that pushes us in a direction. And everybody is going after the same thing. Everybody wants the same thing. You didn't decide to do it. It's easy because we're all just generally going that direction. But Jesus says there's another path, there's another road, there's another gate that isn't physical birth, it's spiritual birth. And it's narrow and few enter into it matthew says that it's hard new life is hard i've been in the room three times when my wife gave birth i I ain't ever in my life worked that hard (laughs) new life is hard physically and spiritually dr luke says that we need to strive toward this gate And, and and matthew says that this gate is narrow and that it has to be found has to be found, this gate of new life has to be found. In fact, God saved me when I was 16 years old, and there were people in my life who were trying to help me find that gate for a long time. There were people in my life who were praying that God would save me, people in my life who were investing in me, people in my life who loved me, people in my life who told me about Jesus. And can I tell you, it took a little while, and it was hard for God to save me, but thank God that he did. Thank God that he did. Thank God that God sent his son to the cross so that he could save me as a 16-year-old kid. But here's what I need you to understand. The way of Jesus isn't the popular way. It's not supposed to be. It isn't the trendy way. The way of Jesus is and will continue to be the minority. That's what Jesus says. Think about it. Jesus didn't come to a powerful people group. In fact, in the Old Testament, God the Father said to the nation of Israel, I didn't pick you because you were awesome. You were small and you were irrelevant and nobody else wanted you. That's why I wanted you. Jesus chose to be a Jew and then he came to the Holy Land when the Holy Land was being occupied by pagan Rome. Now, if I'm God and I'm trying to set up a kingdom, I ain't picking the Jews and I ain't picking a time when Rome is occupying the Jews. What kind of God comes to a nowhere land to a nowhere people while they're being occupied by the world power at the time jesus didn't come to the in crowd jesus was from nazareth jesus was from the place that people went can anything good come from nazareth why did god choose to come from peculiar missouri you know what i'm saying why did god choose to come from a place that people are like where like if i'm god I, i'm I'm, I'm, I'm coming from, like, Dubai, or New York City, or Hong Kong. I, I ain't coming from nowhere. Why did God come to an irrelevant people during a time of occupation and then be born into nobodies, into no place? Why, why would God do it? Why didn't God try to climb the ladder? Why didn't God launch a campaign? Why didn't God start a marketing strategy? Why didn't God build a platform? Why was God homeless? Why was God at best blue collar? Why were his friends uneducated, illiterate, not affluent, not influencers? They were nobody that should tell you about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. This should tell you that you need to be careful when you look around and you want what everybody else wants. When you look around and the things that you think about are the same thoughts and your desires are the same desires and your motives are the same motives and your motivations are the same motivations, listen, it should concern you because Jesus did nothing like anybody else because Jesus wasn't like anyone else. The Sermon on the Mount has shown us a kingdom unlike anything we naturally assume or are accustomed to. There's no one like Jesus. Because there's no one like Jesus, there's no one and nothing like Jesus's kingdom. And if you're going to be a part of it, you're going to have to let go of the idea that you can be trendy, that you can be hip, that you can be cool. Because the way that the world defines that isn't the way that Jesus defines it. Secondly, Jesus says, don't believe every messenger. And this is, this is a scary verse. 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father, my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy on your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do many mighty works? But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's easy for us to say, yeah, them. Jesus isn't talking to them. He's talking to, he's talking to us. Not everybody who says they're speaking for God is. Not everybody who holds a Bible up for a photo op is submitted to the Bible that's in their hands. Not everyone who thanks their Lord and Savior at the end of the game has actually placed their faith in the completed work of Jesus on the cross and is seeking His kingdom and not their own. Not everyone who says they are a Christian is a part of this kingdom. Listen, faith faith can and faith is, in this country, being politicized. It's not the same thing, to be clear. The politicized faith and the faith that Jesus is talking about is not the same thing. It's not even close to the same thing. It's not even like apples and oranges. It's like apples and F-150s. It's not the same thing. Faith can and is being publicized, even though Jesus says, I really wish that when you prayed you went into a closet, not to Instagram. Faith was and can and is being monetized. Faith was and can and is being used to get power. Come on, you know this. You've read a history book or slept through a history class. You know this. Faith can be weaponized and in so many ways we are lulled into the belief that that's the play that we have to connect with the influencers, connect with the powerfuls to get our message out there, but that's not what our king did. So why would we think that that's what we should do? The profession of faith is different in the Bible than the practice of faith. Listen, I'm I'm great. I'm glad that you profess to be a Christian, and I hope you are. I'm glad that you're here, I'm glad you've been baptized, I'm glad you own a Bible. But a profession and a practice aren't the same thing. And Jesus is thrilled at the beginning, thrilled at the gate. What he wants is for you to walk with him on the road. Jesus says don't believe everybody who's got the t-shirt, who uses the rhetoric. Sometimes they're just using my kingdom to build their kingdom. And then thirdly is don't move too quickly. Don't move too quickly. Matthew 7 and verse 15. We in it today, (laughs) y'all. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. How do we handle the truth, the God-given truth, that in the church there are wolves? The truth that in rooms just like this, there are wolves sitting in those seats and there are wolves who stand on these stages. How, how do we handle the idea that claiming something doesn't mean it is something? So Jesus told us last week to not judge externally, which is what we tend to do. Oh, wow. That, that's what a good Christian looks like. That's what a good Christian drives. That's what a good Christian says. That's the side of the aisle that good Christians sit on. That's the suburb that Christians live in. Why it's always a suburb, I don't know. Yeah. Jesus says, "Don't, don't, don't judge. My, my kingdom isn't like that." He says, "Look, look at the fruit." And here's what I know about fruit. I, I, I had a garden this this year. Yes, I ate. It was all right. Was all right. <laughs> Could have been better. First crack at it. Flowers went great fruit took a little bit more time. Fruit, fruit takes time, doesn't it? Fruit takes time to grow and it takes time takes time to show. And, and we in the West have a disadvantage. Uh, the disadvantage is that, that discernment is connected to knowing how God works. And God says, this is how I work. I, I work according to biology and farming, not according to industry and tech. You see, Whenever I think about getting something done, you're like this too. I think about reaching into my pocket, pulling something out and going, boop. Do you know that's not how God works? Do you know that God doesn't talk about your transformation as putting a widget on one side of a conveyor belt and picking it up on the other? Do you know that the church doesn't work that way, that the church works like a body, like a marriage? How many of you know that your marriage isn't do you know that God says the way that I work is more like a farmer and less like the Amazon CEO? And so, when I think about how do I discern where God is working, I have to ask the question how does God work? So, how does new life occur in the kingdom? How does transformation and growth happen in faith? Is it quick? Is it easy? Is it transactional? Well, not according to my garden. How does God plant? How does God think about the soil of our heart? How does God water? How does God weed? How does God fertilize? How do seasons work in the spiritual? And what does healthy fruit look like? What does it sound like? And what does good fruit taste like? What does good fruit taste like? Jesus says, if you're going to discern... uh, you're, you're, you're gonna not follow everyone. You're not gonna believe everything you hear, and you're gonna have to not decide too quickly. These things take time. My, my kingdom takes time, because it's more like a farm than it is a factory. So let me help you in this way. What are some practices of discernment? That, that's the principles, what are some practices? Are y'all still with me? Okay. Uh, I need you to understand this, that unless you get intentional about learning how God thinks, you aren't going to think how God thinks. Did you know that? It's amazing the amount of times that I thought God was going to agree with me that he's like, nah. The amount of times that I bring things to God and I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure that we can can come to some negotiation agreement around this. And God's like, buddy, we aren't even in the same universe on this. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to do something different. The course of this world doesn't push you toward the plans and purposes of God. And so, so what are some things that I think you need to do differently if you're going to grow in discernment? Number one, I need you to manage the voices in your life. We live in an in a age, and hear me, with unguarded consumption of information. We, we live in an age that's the information age, but listen, you ain't, you ain't got any filter on your soul. Uh, listen, I, and I'm not, I'm not being critical of these things, but we got the news on in the background. Just all day, 24 hour, 24 hour news cycle, just turn it on in the morning, go about our day. We binge, this is the phrase, we binge watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever the latest stream is. Podcasts on wherever we go, music on wherever we go. Never once thinking, what theology, what worldview, what culture is being given to me? Here's the problem. The, 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 those things are neutral. The, the, they're mediums. But the more often I hear something, the more normal it feels. And certain things are never supposed to feel normal to a Christian. Discernment is knowing the right voice and having the ability to pinpoint that voice among many voices. The way that somebody learns how to do that is spending a lot of time with the right voice. What did Jesus say? My sheep, they know me and they, they know my voice. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 13, and verse 20 says, whoever walks with the wise, becomes wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. Isn't it interesting? If I walk with a wise person, I get wise. But if I walk with a fool, I share in their consequences. I want you to change your perspective from I'm just. Have you ever had this? I'm just, I'm just watching. I'm just listening. I'm just eating this. I'm just going, look, it's not a big deal. I'm just. Instead of asking who am I walking with right now? Am I walking with the wise or am I walking with the fool? And what are they teaching me? You see, spiritual, Principles aren't based on your intentions. They're, they're based on spiritual realities. And so you say, uh, I, I don't think that this thing that I'm doing affects me. Listen, Satan doesn't care if you think it affects you. It does. I don't, I don't think this bothers me. I don't think this changes me. I, don't, I, don't think, I think that I can keep it in this nice, tidy little box called horror movies on Netflix over here. And it's not going to come up over here. I'm just watching a movie. It doesn't matter if you're not listening to it trying to get theology and worldview. You are getting theology and worldview. Listen, when I said to you before, has your thinking changed since the pandemic? I already know the answer. I already know the answer to that is yes. And you know why I know that? Because you and I didn't use that time to read our Bibles. We use that time to watch more news, to watch more movies, to listen to more music. We filled our head and our soul with other voices that we didn't have time for before. And those just things are changing the way that we view the world. Why? Because that's what they're supposed to do. Because that's what they aim to do. They have motivations and beliefs. You need to start thinking, what is the theology and the worldview under this thing? And is it biblical? You need to manage the voices in your life. Number two is you need to manage the volume in their life. Come on, I got a little Baptist in me, all right? It's gotta be alliterated if God's gonna use it. You know that. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this story about Elijah who defeats the prophets of Baal on the mountaintop. Does this incredible work for God Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. Elijah freaks out, runs for his life, and is suicidal. He goes 40 days into the wilderness, and God meets him in 1 Kings 19 and verse 11. And he, that being God, said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. It's been a windy few years, hasn't it? A lot of things have been broken. The Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard that whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. It's interesting that Elijah is unmoved by the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. I wish that I could be like Elijah, don't you? The wind gets blowing, things are on fire, the ground's moving underneath me, and I I always think God has to be in those. In fact, I think this is the thing in the church. We always think that God does the dynamic thing. That it's got to feel a certain way. It's got to look a certain way. That skylight's got to be a certain way. In, in church, we chase the dynamic. Can I tell you, I haven't found God to be in the dynamic very often. I actually have found God to be in the very mundane most often. And that makes sense because of who Jesus was. Jesus was a blue-collar farmer. Jesus wasn't a tech CEO. Jesus wasn't, wasn't an entrepreneur. Jesus was just a guy. And it's interesting to me that Elijah is unmoved by the wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but he knew the whisper. As soon as he hears the whisper, he stands up, he covers his face, and he walks, up. Oh, there he is. I wonder if you're managing the voices in your life in such a way that if God whispers, you know, up oh, there he is. And the other thing that I want you to see is that wind, earthquakes, and fire, loud, dynamic, God's not in it. God comes softly. God comes quietly. God lets all those crazy things pass by and then here he comes. Can I tell you, some of, some of our lives are just too noisy for God to speak. We've got too many voices and the volume is, is turned up way too high. It's not that God isn't speaking, it's that you can't hear him. And I have always found that God is both in the mundane and that God will not compete for his voice to be heard. You want to listen to the news on blast all day? Yeah, that's cool. I'm just not going to compete with that. When you're ready to hear from me, you'll turn it down. And what I'm saying is that if you want to learn discernment, maybe preemptively manage the voices and preemptively manage the volume. Maybe if you want to hear from God on the regular, you have to stop listening to some other things. Turn it off. Kill the subscription. Save some money. Take the generosity jump. All right, I'll stop. And, and maybe some of us just need our life to be a little more quiet. And maybe, maybe in the quiet, you'll hear the voice of God that the next time the ground starts moving, you'll know whether or not God's in it. Manage the voices, manage the volume, and manage the velocity. Um, Pastor Jeremy, can I use you for a second? Okay. Um, I'm going to have you read Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Okay? Can you read that for me? Thank you. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay. Good job. Okay, so Pastor, did you understand it? So Pastor Jeremy just had an exchange with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit authored this. He says he understands it. The only way you can understand God's word is if God helps you understand it. Okay? Okay. So here's what I need you to do. I'm going to have you read uh, Matthew 7 and verse 2. Okay, are you ready? You did 7 and verse 1. You did great. All right, you ready? You got it? I'll go back the other way, Okay. What, what, how about if I get closer? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's happening right now, Pastor Jeremy, godly man, can't see or hear from God because it's going too because it's going too fast. It's not that Pastor Jeremy didn't want to hear it or want to see it. It's that he's always running someplace. We're always running someplace with the volume up, wondering why why we can't hear from God. What does God say in Psalm forty six? Hey, would you just be still? <laughs> like you say to your kids, would you just be still and know and know that I'm God? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Can I can I tell you? Uh, over the last few years, I've had a lot of concerns about who's in control, and who's going to win, and, and where's it going, and what's going to happen, and uh can I tell you why? God says, in order for you to know certain things, you got to be still, and when you get still, I'll say, hey, I'll be exalted in the nations. Don't you worry. I still win, but I've also noticed that when I'm going too fast with too many voices at too much volume, I start to question whether or not. God's in charge, whether or not God's gonna win, whether or not it's gonna be okay, whether, and God says there are things that you can only know when you're still. There's a a temperament to discernment, friends. That temperament is, it's quiet, it's curious, and it's slow. This this is why I say, in a really tangible way, The ways of God and you understanding them are in direct opposition to the world. Because the world isn't quiet, curious, and slow. The world is loud, self-righteous, and fast. That's not how God works. If you want to do it God's way, you have to do it differently, you have to be intentional, and the next you gotta be curious. Or, I'm sorry, you gotta be courageous. Intentional and courageous. Are you still with me? A wide gate, many people means most people are going the wrong way which means that being a christian if you're doing it jesus's way is lonely i'm not saying that it's supposed to be i'm just saying that it's the reality of it that's why i say if you wake up and you're with everybody else and wanting what everybody else wants you should you should be concerned Because Jesus says the narrow way, there's not that many people on it. There's not that many people, and it's lonely, and and look, it's scary. Doing it Jesus' way is scary, because nobody else is telling you to do what Jesus is doing. And and so you're off on your own, and sometimes God asks you to do something and say, maybe I'm the crazy one. This is why you need a good church, by the way, because at least once a week you need to be in a room, well, I guess we're all crazy at least. Listen, if you're going to see it God's way, do it God's way, you have to be intentional, but you also have to be courageous. You have to be courageous enough to be uncomfortable. Listen, I want to be comfortable and I want to be cool. That's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of Christ. And let me also say this. There's a difference between feedback and faith. There's a difference between feedback and faith. When I think about discernment, I think about, well, Pastor Jeremy, tell me what you think, and, and Craig, tell me what you think, and Maurice, tell me what you think. And I, Okay, well, that, that, that sounds right, and so that must be what God wants me to do. All these guys basically said the same thing. How many of you know feedback and faith aren't the same thing? Hebrews doesn't say, without feedback, it's impossible to please him. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen. Trusting God takes courage to be uncomfortable, to be lonely, to be scared, but still believing that Jesus is worth more. Some of us, you're, you're, you're still looking for somebody to tell you what to do, for somebody to tell you it's good, for somebody to tell you it's right, instead of minimizing voices, minimizing velocity, minimizing volume, and saying, God, what should I do with my marriage? What should I do with my finances? And God, I'm gonna sit here and come hell, high water, wind storms, earthquakes, and brush fire. I have to hear from you. Figuring out what God's voice sounds like and then having the courage to obey him. And, and here's what I need you to understand. Uh, God's voice doesn't sound like your voice. God's voice doesn't sound like anyone's voice. And when God's voice starts to sound like my voice, I need to be concerned. When God's voice starts to sound like the person who gave you feedback voice, you need to be concerned. It takes courage to trust God. It takes courage to turn down the volume, turn down the speed, turn down the voices. It takes courage to walk with God. That's why a profession and a practice aren't the same. Here's where we need to land. Okay. The starting place for discernment. You say, cool, I wanna do all these things. Here's where, here's where you start. The starting place for discernment is the mirror. So much of the Sermon on the Mount has taught us the necessity of emphasizing the internal over the external. And if you didn't hear anything else that I said, just wake up for a second and hear this. You cannot be clear about your surroundings until you are clear about yourself. Part of the reason... That you see the world the way that you do is that you don't see the reality of where you are. You don't see the reality of your own traumas, of your own bias, of your own prejudice, of your own preference, and you project it onto the rest of the world. If you want discernment, you have to get clear on where you really are. The first question God ever asked to Adam and Eve, where are you? Coming out of this season. In your marriage, with your kids, with your family, where are are you? Here's the three questions, and, and I'm in my seat. Whose voice do you listen to? Just take a voice audit. Whose voice are you listening to right now? What voices, and not just in people, on the stream, in the podcast, in the book, on the song, in the movie, in the series, whose voices are you listening to right now? Are you hearing God's voice? Are you giving God's voice priority? Do you know what God's voice sounds like? And maybe your first step is to just say, I've got entirely too many voices in my life. And God, I wanna hear you, so I'm gonna kill that subscription, I'm gonna turn off that TV, I'm gonna unfollow that podcast. Because I wanna hear from you. God, I'm gonna fast from those things. Because I need to be able to hear my shepherd's voice. Number two, what's the fruit of your life? What's the fruit of your life? What's growing in your life? What's not growing in your life? Are you stuck? Are you flourishing? Are you healthy? Are you struggling? Does God feel near? Does God feel far? Are people being brought in the kingdom because of you or repelled by the kingdom around you? Does your life show the divine gardener's handiwork? What's growing right now? What's the fruit in your life? Listen, I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm trying to help you. The voices you're listening to and the fruit that you're bearing are tied directly to one another. And then lastly, what road are you on? I'm glad you're here. I am. I love coming to church with you. Coming to church doesn't mean you're on a road. I, I love that, that you come, that you profess, that you believe. But who's your king? Who's in charge? Whose voice are you listening to? Whose authority are you submitted to? Here's what I want you to understand. God, God is not interested in sharing kingdoms. God says, I gotta be your only king. I gotta be the most authoritative, prominent voice. I gotta be the gardener in your life. That's the only way that it'll work. And I'll just tell you, not a lot of people wanna do it. But if you will do it, I'll change your life. If you will do it, uh, I'll bring something into your life and I'll build something through your life that that you can't get anywhere else, but but you gotta pick me and make me first. God, we love you today. And God, uh, we're living in such an interesting age where so many things feel benign Information feels benign, media feels benign, entertainment feels benign, social media feels benign. But, Lord, we just acknowledge that there's a course to this world, that there's a God of this world who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We acknowledge that most of us, Lord, we have far too many voices in our head. That the volume is entirely too loud, that the velocity, the pace of our life is not entirely too fast. And Lord, I I think that it is causing us to think unedited, unaudited thoughts that are producing behaviors that come from beliefs that aren't what you say is true and right. Lord, it's hard to be distinct. It's lonely to be distinct. It's scary to be distinct, Lord, but we want to trust you. And so, Lord, I'm just asking you for this church, this church that I love, This church that I'm proud to be a part of, Lord, we are in a season that we need to hear from you. We're in a season of transition. We're in a season of a year coming to an end. We're in a time in history that is volatile and complex. We're coming into an election year. And Lord, we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, if you would graciously, kindly, softly, but deliberately and repetitively, Speak to us, your people. Give us the wisdom to judge righteously. Give us the heart to discern, not just between right and wrong, but between better and best, to see it as it actually is, and to join you in the bringing of this kingdom. Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to know what it looks like and to be a part of it and to bring it for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray.